Today we're in 2 Samuel chapter 23. Uh, it's the second to last chapter in the book of 2 Samuel, so we'll be wrapping it up next week. Uh, but today we want to talk about this chapter. And in this chapter, in verse 1, David makes this claim. He says, this is the most delightful song. And whenever he wrote that, and I read it this week, I thought, oh my, David, you're building this up. Have you ever had a thing where uh, you go to it and someone, you're talking with somebody and they're building up a movie and you go watch the movie and you're like, eh. Sometimes like the hype doesn't live up to, to the buildup. Let me think, uh, this, this fall break, my sons and I went camping and I was super excited about camping. We went to Lake Somerville. Anyone been to Lake Somerville? It's a beautiful lake, great fishing. We used to go there as kids and, and I was really looking forward to the fishing. I mean, I'm typically, like, I'm used to, like, fishing in Nolan Creek, which means I catch perch, and we definitely don't eat anything. Uh, so uh, I was looking forward to this fishing trip. We, we went to my shed. I pulled out all my poles. I pulled out all my fishing gear. I did a, I did a I cleaned it all out. I went to Academy, and I bought some new gear, a new reel, some new bait, some new lures. I went to my dad, and he has a huge stash of fishing stuff, and I raided his supplies, and he's like, all right, Lake Somerville, this is what you're going to need. All right, so I was, I was prepared. I packed my van full of all of our camping and fishing gear. We went out to the campsite. It was a beautiful site. The weather was pretty nice, not too hot, but a little, little hot. But uh, we got it all set up. And I had that one of the like, folding wagons. You got those things where you take them out? A little expanding wagon. I opened it up. I put my fishing chair in there, my fishing gear my two boys and their like eight cousins, all under six years old, and we went down to the lake together. Um, the camping site was a bit of a distance from the lake, so it took a while, uh, but we finally got there. And I took a picture. I got one picture of our fishing trip, uh, and this was it. <laughs> it was nice. They, ha- they had canoes there for us to use, and the canoe was in the lake right there. Uh, it didn't live up to the height. It didn't live up to the height. That, that was the only time I held my fishing pole the whole trip because the, the lake was about a mile or more away. Uh, but it is one of those sayings, David is building this up. Here is the most delightful song. This is David who wrote Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The one who wrote Psalm 119, the word is is, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The one who wrote Psalm 1 about the tree next to the living waters growing and bearing fruit in season. He is probably the most famous songwriter ever, even more so than Taylor Swift. (laughs) Is he going to live up to the hype? And I think the answer is yes. Yes, David is going to live up to the height. The song that he is giving us here is the most delightful song. And it is a delightful song because it is a song about the promises of Christ. So we want to talk about how we need to stand on this song. We need to stand on the promises of God. And not only do we need to stand on the promises of God, but when we work and when we strive and when we live our lives, we need to strive on these promises as well. They're the fuel for the the engine of, of the kingdom of God. 
So let's look, beginning with standing on the promises of God, verses 1 through 7. I'm going to start reading in verse 2, though. It says, The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. The God of Israel spoke. The rock of Israel said to me, The one who rules the people with justice, who rules in the fear of God, is like the light when the sun rises on a cloudless morning, the glistening of rain on sprouting grass. Is it not true that my house is with God? For he has established a permanent covenant with me, ordered and secured in every detail. Will he not bring about my whole salvation and my every desire? But all the wicked are like thorns raked aside. They can never be picked up by hand. The man who touches them must be armed with iron and the shaft of a spear. They will become completely burned up on the spot. In this verse, we have a promise about the kingdom of God. We have a promise about Jesus Christ, who will be the heir of David's throne, who will rule in justice and the fear of the Lord. This is a promise that's made not by David. Notice that. This is not David's promise, but in verse 2, it's saying, The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. This is a promise from God himself. Here's the thing about promises. Promises are only as good as the one who makes the promise. We know this, don't we? We know that someone might come to us and they might give us their word. They might make a promise, but we know that the promise is weak because we've seen the integrity of the person making the promise. This promise about a coming kingdom This promise about a king who will rule in the fear of God, a king who will rule in justice, a king that will bring justice to the entire earth. This is not made by a mere fallen human being. This is a promise that is made by God himself. James chapter 1 verse 17 describes this God. And he says this, Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. Our God does not change like the shifting shadows. He does not change his mind. He is firm. David describes him as a rock. Someone we can build upon a foundation to trust. And this is the truth of all of God's word. All of God's word is true. In fact, last, last Sunday, whenever Neil was preaching during second service, I was with the children in elementary class, uh, and I got, I got to teach our kids in their elementary class. And uh, as I was sitting there listening to Lindsay before I took the older kids off for their lesson, she has this liturgy that she does with the kids, like we do. We, whenever we say, this is the word of the Lord, we all say, thanks be to God. Yeah. Uh, but they had their own version in, in children's Sunday school. And Lindsay will say this, we got, we got kids in elementary class. So this is your role, all right? So if you're in our elementary class, don't leave me hanging up here. All right, y'all got to fill it in, all right? So Lindsay will stand up in children's elementary class in children's church, and she'll say, this is the Bible. The Bible is God's word. And then they say, and God's word is true. And God's word is true. You can trust God's word. It is true. It is right. It is good. 
And I have to ask myself the question, if God's word is right, it is true, it is good, it is beautiful, it is the bread that we need to devour to sustain our life, then why are we so slow? And why is it so hard to get into the word? One of the things that convicts me whenever I think about my own personal Bible intake is when I begin to compare my Bible intake with the amount of TV that I stream. Or I compare my Bible intake with the amount of worry and anxiety that I dwell on in my life. I think oftentimes we can even say at the end of the day, man, I wish I'd read my Bible, but I don't have any time. When we spent hours scrolling through social media, it's not that we don't have time, it's that our time is misprioritized. I would challenge you to make reading the word of God a top priority in your life. Go to the word and seek out the promises of God. A.W. Pink, a, a pastor who's long since passed, said this about the promises of God found in the word of God. But why should we not place implicit confidence in God and rely upon his word of promise? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Has his word of promise ever failed? Then let us not entertain any unbelieving suspicions of his future care for us. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but not so his promises. One of the things that we need to do is we need to find specific promises in the Bible for the fears that we have. We need to find specific promises in the Bible for the different worries that we have, for the different addictions that we have. So let me give you a few examples. Let's say you feel far from God. You feel distant from Him. That your heart is cold and you're not feeling any emotion. We can turn to Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 8 that says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks the door will be opened. If you feel far from God, what this promise is telling us is that we keep on seeking. We keep on knocking. We keep on Asking, and what's the promise? We will receive, we will find, and the door will be opened. What about if you feel insecure about finances? Job uncertainty. Do I have enough to retire on? There's a promise for that in the Word of God. Many promises in the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 says, Keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. I will never leave you or abandon you. Think about those words. How often do we think of those words, I will never leave you or forsake you? We think of that promise of Christ and we think about it like in in persecution terms. Like, well, we can go through persecution because Christ will never leave us or abandon us. He is always with us. Jesus is saying, listen, it's not just for for living the Christian life in persecution. This is for your daily life and your daily finances as you consider retirement and the future and the bills piling up. What is Jesus' promise to you? His promise is 
I will never leave you or abandon you. What about two more? You struggle with keeping your eyes pure. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8 said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Not they might see God or there's an opportunity to see God, but they will see God. What if you're afraid to speak the name of Christ to others? Luke chapter 12, Jesus makes this promise. Whenever they bring you before the synagogues and rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you should defend yourselves or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very hour what must be said. Jesus gives you the words to say when you're in those situations. They might not be the words you want. They might not be as elegant as you want. But God said, I will give you the words for the situation. We trust in the promises of God. And more than likely, some of these promises that I just gave as an example are promises that you need today. But I might not have hit your sin your worry, your anxiety. But there are promises in the Bible for it. So what do we do with these promises? Here are five things. The first thing we have to do is we find the promises. Find the promises of God as you read the Bible. One of the habits that I'm in is I have a set of questions that I ask about any passage that I read. And one of the questions that I always ask is, is there a promise in this passage? Is there a promise that I need to hold on to? Is there a promise I need to walk in? And if it is a promise that deals particularly in your life in the moment, you know what you need to do? You need to memorize the promise. Put it in your heart. Hide God's word in your heart so that your way may be pure. You hide God's word in your heart. And then after that, what you need to do is you then need to start praying the promises. You say something like, Heavenly Father, I am seeking you. Help me to find you. I am asking that I can experience you in a real way in my life. Help me to find you. And then after that, you pray them. The next thing you need to do is you need to plead them. A pleading is when you like, pray more than once, right? So you, you pray once, you're like, man, I'm not seeing it. I'm not feeling it. It's not real. You continue to plead God. You don't let that promise go. You hold on to the promise because we believe that the promises are true. A promise is only as good as the one who makes it. Know that the promises found in Scripture are made by our God, the creator of heaven and earth, who is a rock, a foundation to build upon. What was the promise that David gave in this 2 Samuel chapter 3 chapter? It's a promise of a coming king and a coming kingdom. It's the greatest of all promises. Whenever we named this sermon series, we named it a king and a kingdom. And the idea was that a king in a kingdom could reference David. King David was a king. He was building a kingdom. But at the same time, David is just a shadow. But the substance is Christ. The true king 
of 2 Samuel is Jesus. The true kingdom is not Israel, but was, but was the kingdom and is the kingdom of God that we all put our hope in. I want you to look at what he says about this king. We'll begin in verse 3. That this king that's promised is one who rules the people with justice, who rules in the fear of God. Verse 5, we see that this king is going to be a descendant of David, that God has established a permanent covenant, a permanent covenant, not one that will end, but a king that will reign and rule forever. In verses 6 through 7, this king will not only he rule in the fear of God, and not will he only be from the kingdom of David, but he will also bring justice not only to the righteous, but to the wicked as well. And when I read those promises about this future king and kingdom, what we see is, is this repeated over and over throughout Scripture. Look at what the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Then a shoot will grow up from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. Do y'all remember who Jesse was? This is David's father from the family and the line of David, son of Jesse. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight will be in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. He will not execute justice by what he hears with his ears. But he will judge the poor righteously and execute justice for the oppressed of the land. He will strike the land with a scepter from his mouth. And he will kill the wicked with a command from his lips. This is the greatest song of all. A king with no end to his reign who will redeem and save us, who will rule in justice. I think we're comfortable with that, aren't we? We're comfortable with the idea of justice. We're comfortable with the idea of the fear of the Lord and this king. But sometimes we get a little squeamish when we start talking about the wicked being burnt up. And I think this is the reason why. Oftentimes we struggle with this idea and concept of, of the wicked being destroyed because we are just so middle class, right? We're middle class. We live in our nice houses, in our nice suburbs, in our communities. We send our kids to their school and we are able to insulate them from so much of the brokenness in the world. But if you have turned on the news just once this week, you learn about how deep hatred and wickedness can grow. We read stories of mass shooters walking into businesses and taking people out. We read stories about terrorist organizations going into civilian villages to work their destruction and to exercise their terror. One of the reasons we're uncomfortable with these images and these pictures in the Bible of God destroying the wicked is because we haven't experienced the wickedness ourselves. But for those who are 
oppressed, for those who have faced that abuse, for those who have been hurt in deep ways, to hear of a God who will come and make things right and bring justice to the world is a message of hope. Man, the, the, think about it, guys. The only way for us to truly pray, pray for our problems to be solved is a prayer of, come, Lord Jesus. No government can solve our problems. No activism can bring solutions that will be good enough to, to fix the problems we have. The only hope that we have as humanity is that a king will come and bring justice to the earth. So we pray this song. We sing this song of come, Lord Jesus. But we also realize that we too were also the wicked that would face that fire if it weren't for this king who showed us mercy. So we are people who work and strive to share the good news of Christ so that more people will hear and more people will believe the good news of Jesus Christ. So we don't only stand on the promises of God, but the other thing we do is we strive and we work on the promises of God. Whenever Christ came and died for our sins and was buried and rose again and ascended to heaven, do you know what he did with us? He left us here and he gave us a mission to expand and work for the kingdom of God. Because whenever God makes a promise, he ensures that that promise is fulfilled. And he does that by working through his people. Look at what David said. He said this in verse 5. This promise of God, this covenant that he made, he has ordered and secured it in every detail. You know what those details are? In part, it's us. That God is going to bring about his kingdom in this world through the work of the church. We see a shadow of this in 2 Samuel chapter 23 whenever God provided David with these mighty men. That God equipped these men and gave boldness to these men to help secure the kingdom of David. Because David's kingdom needed to be secured because God said, I am ordering my promise. I'm ordaining it to, to make sure my kingdom comes. Here's the thing, guys. God is still in the equipping business. Look at how he equipped these mighty men in verses 8 through 39. I'm not even going to try to read all the names like Brittany did, so just a few of them. God equipped these people for the kingdom work. They were gifted warriors. Think of Joshab, who wielded his spear in verse 8 against 800 men, and he killed them one at a time. Think of Elizer who stood his ground and attacked the Philistines until his hand was tired and stuck to his sword. They had to pry the sword out of his hand. The other Israelites ran in fear, but he stood there and fought. 
It said that the rest of the Israelites didn't come back until the battle was done. All they had to do was like pry the sword out of his hand and then go plunder the Philistines. Shema took his stand in the middle of the field and defended it and struck down the Philistines in verse 12. So the Lord brought about a great victory. Benaiah went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. All right, kids, if you ever find a pit and it's got a lion in it, don't go in, all right? <laughs> Lesson of the day. Don't go into pits with snowy lions. What they think happened here was uh, on a cold winter, uh, there was less food out there for the lions, so the lions started moving closer into the villages. Uh, and moving closer to the villages, it put the village at risk. And the lion fell into the pit, and they're like, if this lion gets out, we're in danger. So Benaiah said, I'll protect the people. And so he jumped into a pit and killed the lion on a snowy day. God equipped him to establish the kingdom of God. He equipped them for kingdom work. Brothers and sisters, I want you to take a moment and look around this crowded room. You are surrounded by men and women who are being equipped by God and given gifts by God to do kingdom work. We were not called to come and sit on cushioned seats and to listen to a sermon and say, well, that's the entirety of my Christian life. But God is redeeming sinners and giving them the righteousness of Christ and equipping them with the Spirit of God and giving them gifts. Why? Because like these mighty men, he is sending his people out into the world to accomplish his mission of the kingdom of God. He's saying, you are my mighty men. You are my warriors. You're the church of Jesus Christ, who even death couldn't keep him in the grave. And the same spirit that lives in Jesus lives in you. So what are we doing? Church, like, what are we doing are we going to spend our lives doing kingdom work? Saying, I want to see it expand and grow and go deep and wide. I want to see people who are lost and headed for the fire, redeemed and saved by the blood of Jesus. I want to see these corrupt relationships that are broken by sin made pure and beautiful because God is about that business. Let us strive on the promises of God. Let us put our hand to the plow and work until the field is furrowed. He's equipped us to do it. This is what Peter said, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the very grace of God. I hear some promises in here, right? Just as each one has received a gift, you have received a gift. Then we're told what to do with that gift. We use our gift to serve others. When you look at your life right now, can you say, this is how I am serving others. This is, this is, this is my spot in the line where I'm fighting for the kingdom of God.
Or are we sitting on the sidelines? Watching others do the work, but cheering them on. You've received a gift, and God is calling you to get in the battle of the kingdom of God. That does require something else, not just the gift. But one of the things we see in these men of David's mighty men was a boldness. There's a boldness that they have. Boldness that is based not upon their own strength. Because you might feel very weak. You might feel very unqualified. But let's tell me, who feels qualified to stand up and fight 800 like raging Philistines as they're coming down on them? Who feels qualified to stand up against an Egyptian mercenary who is like a giant with a spear in his hand and all you've got is a walking stick? I think they left that out of the training. But they had boldness based upon the strength that God has given them. They had a desire for the kingdom. And they said, I'll step up and I will step in and I will do the work. So brothers and sisters in Christ, man, this is, this is what we are called to do as a church. We are called to strive on the promises of God, to be used by God for his mission in this world. So let us strive for holiness. Let us strive to know one another and serve one another and build one another up so that we all can encourage each other to do the work that God has called us to do. But guys, let's do this together. Because there's no greater song. There's no greater promise than the fact that Christ is our King and his kingdom is coming. You've got one life to live. How will you spend it? Let's stand and pray.